You're listening to the pulpit of Marion Avenue Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us for today's message. For additional resources, you can visit us online at marionavenuebaptist.com or by calling 855-825-4113. The truth will make you free. we come to the close of the parenting portion of our family series. It's hard to believe. Uh, right at 15 lessons, messages over 15 hours preached. And tonight will be the overview and bringing it together, and we'll close as the Lord leads. The number one key to godly parenting out of all the ingredients that have been placed, out of all the hours that have been taught, is not vision, though you have to have vision. Without vision, your children will perish. It's not training. It's not chastening. It's not time. It's not love for your children. It's not the Bible. It's not schooling and education. It's not friendships and relationships. It's not the sin and failure that comes because of that. It's not uh, studying all of those things and boiling them all down. Uh, None of those is the number one key. The number one key that will make up for everything else when you fall short, when you fail, when you just don't make it day by day in these areas is this key right here. A desire and lifelong commitment to please the Lord. A desire and lifelong commitment to please the Lord. I am convinced beyond a shadow of any doubt as I study this Bible and see the epistles outside of the Word of God that God has given. What do I mean by that? The generations, thousands of thousands of moms and dads and boys and girls and families that when a mom and dad have been wholly sold out to God, committed to God, and they try to day by day pursue to please the Lord. They want to please the Lord. God is not a formula. He's not a fantasy. He's not a Sunday morning. He's not an event. He's a relationship. He's a person. And when mom and dad do the best that they can, or a mom, and even a single mom, or a single dad, or even a, even a less than ideal home, If the leader in that home, if the Christian or Christians in that home will have a desire and commitment to please the Lord, then it makes up for all the shortcomings, all the failures. You will fail at times in parenting. You will come up short in parenting. You will not always do what you're supposed to do in parenting. But if you have a desire and a commitment to please the Lord, then you have left the spiritual light on and have trained your children in the way that they should go. Now, in our overview tonight, we're going to talk about the other ingredients that you have to have. I'm just saying the Word of God teaches us that if you don't have that, then what do you have to talk about when you walk by the way, when you sit down and when you uh, rise up? What do you have? You have hypocrisy. You have a method. You have a, a program And we all know when it comes to the things of Christ in this culture today, we love production. We love program. I mean, you can get online and and find a a thousand churches, a million churches, and highly polished and produced nice little self-help lessons. But when it all comes down to it, the families still have the decay. The lives still end up broken and empty. What it all comes back to is a mom and a dad who have wholly sold themselves out to the Lord and are committed 
to that. Deuteronomy chapter number 6, I will put it on the screen because I know that people are watching online and a lot of people are going back and watching or they're sharing it, and so I like to put the scriptures there so as people uh, are out and about and on their way and they're watching this, they see it. But Deuteronomy chapter number four, six, chapter 6 and verse 4 through 7 is a, a key passage that we've come back to time and time again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Here it is, ready? With all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. It didn't say they'll be on your wall. It didn't say you'll command your children with them. It didn't say this is the code to live by. It said it'll be in your heart. You've got a hold of it. It's who you are. Then thou shalt, and it says, these words which I commanded thee shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently. You're not going to do anything diligently until you revive that love, that pleasing, that commitment to please the Lord. Teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. A commitment and desire to please the Lord. This is the key above all else that takes to be a good parent. It's not a desire to be a good parent. It's not a desire to raise good kids, to uh, reproduce and have a good, strong society because you children are the next generation. No, it's not a desire and commitment to make yourself look good. It's not a desire and commitment to save yourself from heartache, and it will save yourself from heartache. It's not a desire for anything that you could fill in the blank in your wish list of why you want good children. It is a desire and commitment to please the Lord. If somebody called me tonight and said, as a pastor of a people that God has uh, brought together in this ecclesia, this gathering, what would be the number one thing, number one desire that you would want from your people? Would I say, man, I wish that they would read the Bible through in a year. Uh, I wish that they would uh, uh, sing in the choir, teach a Sunday school class, run a bus. I wish that they would, uh, you know, uh, dress right and talk right. And do I wish these things? Sure, I wish these things. But if, if I had one thing to say and only one and I had to think about it, it would not take me but a split second. And I would say that we would have a desire and commitment to please the Lord. A desire and commitment. Just this morning, and I was uh, planning to preach, this has been on my heart all along as I've watched godly parents, and I'm going to mention just a few tonight maybe, um, and, and, and I've seen that that's the glue. They didn't get everything right. They failed at times, multiple parents, but they raised a godly seed and left the light on for their children in the waves and the storms of life because they had a true desire and commitment to please the Lord. And so this morning, I, uh, I, uh, um, I threw it away. Here it is. This morning, I got an email from a pastor friend who sends out a devotional. Uh, I think, Brother Dan, you get these devotionals. I love them. Uh, from my pastor friend who sends out a devotional, nothing to do with, with child uh, rearing or anything like that. And here's what it said. And I was already studying here in the message. He says, one of my favorite passages is Revelation 4 through 7. The passage describes the time when we first enter heaven. 
When the Lord comes into the picture, the Lamb of God, he'll finally receive the start of an eternity of praise. In Revelation 5.12, he says, is one of his favorite verses, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all them that are therein, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. We will do that for eternity. And God longs for you and I, boys and girls, moms and dads, every children, to break through the crusty, methodical, boxed up Christianity and become true disciples of Jesus Christ. He goes on. And I loved it. I just ate it up as I read this. He sends out an email every morning with a devotional. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes into the picture, excuse me, one of my concerns throughout the past decades of ministry is that God does not receive the love, worship, and praise he deserves. We are so prone to cater to the flesh. We want to experience comfort more than we want to experience, more than we want God to receive glory. And we want our name rather than his name to be good. Even when we are doing the right thing, praising and thanking God, we tend to get bored and weary with the ritual of it all. Give us a trial or a heartache and then a deliverance, and then we'll renew our praise and thanksgiving once more. On a simply routine day, week, or month, our carnal world tends to weaken our love, our worship, and our praise for the one who is worthy. Whatever needs to be done or whatever national events need to take place, may the results please him. May we be as the disciples who said his pleasure matters most, even when they were beaten. Acts 5.41, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. No doubt they were not feeling physically well, but they certainly were not ashamed as long as they were pleasing God. Why do we say the number one key ingredient that you cannot bypass in parenting is a desire and commitment? It's this, Pastor Abe, if you'll stand. He was not warned in this, so uh, just follow my lead. That center aisle is the destination of pleasing God. He's worthy. We will praise Him for an eternity. Every knee in this room will bow down, and with tears dripping off our face, we for eternity, if you know the Lord, and even if you don't know the Lord, you'll still praise Him, but you'll spend an eternity in hell. But we will bow down, and for the rest of eternity, we will cry out, holy, holy, holy. Lord, you are mighty. Lord, you are good. Lord, you redeemed me. God, you saved me. You shed your blood. You gave up the home in heaven. You are the redeemer. You are the, and we are going to worship him forever. But a desire and a commitment is this. Here on earth, we do not have the heavenly glorified body in heaven. In heaven, it will come from an overflow and a natural uh, utterance all day, every day. Stay with me. But on earth, there are many Christians. Matter of fact, if you tap into the mainline evangelical world, sometimes they're even more bold than, than churches like ours in saying, oh, I love the Lord and I want to please Him, and I believe them. I believe if I talked to Pastor Osteen uh, tonight, in a genuine heart, he would say, I want to believe the Lord. Now, he's a false prophet, but I believe he wants to please the Lord. And so many Christians, I want to please God with my children. With... 
But commitment, and I'll get to this near the end as we wrap up here, but commitment is the leadership, the convictions, the standards, the stalwartness, the courage to make not provision for the flesh, to follow through on the things that will please Him. So, if I want to please the Lord and I'm heading towards that destination, but I have no godly commitment, godly standards, godly convictions, and what we preached about on Sunday morning, righteous living or right living, then I'll never reach that destination. Why? Because I was not committed to keep my flesh under subjection as a dad, as a mom, as a husband, as a pastor, as a worker, as a Christian. And commitment, he goes, he tries to make it, but he'll never make it because he'll get bitter because if you don't have the love of Christ, you'll never make it into that sweet relationship and finishing the course with joy that Paul said. Are you following? But go back. I just love Jesus, and I want to praise Him and worship Him. But, you know, I can't tell my children no, and they watch what they want to do and go where they want to go. And, you know, all the, I'm not going to double down on, uh, I love Jesus, but I'm not going to focus on Christian education and on standards and convey. I love Jesus. You can want to please Him all that you want to, but without commitment. Or with commitment only, we're nothing but a, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And so instead, I take my desire and my standards and my conviction, and conviction comes alongside of my desire into pleasing the Lord. That right there, if you'll grab hold of that, is the key. Why is it the key? Because all the ingredients are there. When you fail and when you cannot absorb even the 15 hours plus of, of study, if you go back to wanting to please God and you go back to committing a life, as we said, a lifelong commitment. I'm in this. God is my God. I'm not playing games. When I fall, I get back up. I will not be a sit on the couch, have time for TV, but never time for the Bible kind of a dad. I will not be a gossiping, backbiting, cactus kind of a mama and never come back and read the book of Psalms and, 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 and read the word of God and praise God and play the godly music and raise my children for the Lord. I will not do that. I, will, I am committed. And when I fall down, I'll get back up. I'm committed to a church like this. I'm committed to this book. I'm committed to the ways that will please God. Why? Because the ingredients are there even when you are in the thick of thin things, and you're in the thick of fog. For instance, here's all the ingredients that are there, and we could give hundreds of them, but in relation to what we've been studying, uh, there is real parenting, authentic parenting. Uh, Paul says, you've known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my long-suffering, my faith, my ch patience, charity, uh, persecutions. He said, look, he said, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. I was with that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He'll lift me up. He's got me. He sustained me. And so therefore, instead of Christians saying, okay, I got to check the be real box that we learned, I'm just going to have a desire and lifelong commitment to serve the Lord. Then there's joyful parenting. Psalm 51 says, but let them that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. The more you pursue God, the more you go from, here's the picture, from cactus repelling people, you're never going to get the heart of your child if they don't want to be with you. You're always negative. You're always critical. You're always backbiting and gossiping. That's not a fruit of the Spirit the last time I checked. 
So we come back to the basis and the foundation of, I just want to please the Lord, be in His will in every way. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. God, what today would please you? Is my life pleasing you? God, I haven't been pleasing you. The way I treated my wife, the way I treated my husband, the way I treated my children. God, I've failed. I've failed again. And the reason why you're coming back, why I'm, co- I'm coming back on my knees is because I want to please you. And I'm committed to this lifelong thing I'm in for life. You know what? It'll give you authenticity. It'll give you joy. And without joy, you will never. You have to have joy and laughter and kindness in parenting. Then there's the right kind of training. Luke 6, 45. A good man out of the abundance of his heart a treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man, evil treasure uh, bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Are you diligently speaking by the wayside and at the dental table and in the morning and in the night? You say, no, I come to church and sing, oh, how I love Jesus. And my kids go, <clears throat> because at home where it's real and where we're comfortable, the abundance of the heart is on display. Now, I'm not beating you nor me up at home. We live 24-7, and we fail. And, and, and there are many times a mom would say, I didn't intend to be in this mood today. But the mom that's committed to a lifelong desire to please the Lord comes back and says, God, forgive me, and your children have something to go upon. And you know what they're going upon? The right kind of training. They're being trained to love God to follow God, and the good things are pouring out of your mouth as they are pouring into your heart. There's the right kind of chastening. My son despised not the chastening of the Lord. He says at the end, even as a father whom the son in whom, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. When you love God, you have courage to do what is right, as long as you're committed to pleasing the Lord. There's connection. If we love God most, we will love others. Say it with me. Best. You know the people that have just a sweet, I I could mention many of you men, but since he's my father-in-law, I could pick on Brother Steve. I know, because I've, I've seen his manner of life, his doctrine, I've fully known it, that he loves God. And he has bad days too, but there's a joy and a love for the brethren. Why? Because that's what it does. There's a connection. So you have that connection. When we love God most, we will love others best. 2 Corinthians 5.18, you quoted several scriptures tonight in the Bible quiz. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Then there's a leadership. The Bible says, but whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know we that we are in him. For the love of Christ constraineth us. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. This goes back to what I was saying when I talked about the commitment. When there is a desire and a lifelong dedication, a lifelong commitment, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided my f- we are in this thing for the long haul. Let come what may. Many good parents have had a desire to please the Lord and love the Lord, but they are simply not committed to it. It takes strength and leadership to raise a family. Don't tell me that you're committed to pleasing the Lord if you never read his word. You might want to read his word and you might desire to please him in that way, but you're not committed. Don't tell me that you're committed to pleasing the Lord if you don't want to lead your family spiritual. 
spiritually. Don't tell me you're committed to pleasing the Lord if you don't love what He loves, like righteousness and holiness. Like I've said before, my wife and I are not identical, but we are inseparable. We are one. And Christ and His church, this ecclesia, this local called-out assembly, are not identical, but they are inseparable. And for one to say, I don't, I don't want to get my children and my family involved in ministry in a local church is a loving Jesus without His bride. It takes leadership, and when you want to please Him, you dig down into the book and say, God, this is not about pleasing my children or pleasing me or polishing a nice trophy to set on the trophy shelf. This is about bringing others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, about equipping and training and loving and serving these children that they will go out and be the salt and the light and the mighty swords in this dark day and age. Leadership will be there. Standards and convictions, getting in the driver's seat, right living, spiritual protection, emotional protection, physical protection, protection from sin, movies, music, dress, serving the Lord, living right with that heart. Why? Because this home is going to please the Lord. Honey, we've spent hours and hours sitting by the fireside and talking and on the ice cream dates and laughing and giggling and riding our bicycle uh, down at Lake Darling. And I love you with all of my heart and never want to say anything to displease you, but I am your daddy. And as a 13-year-old, 15-year-old, 18-year-old, you're not going to wear that because that doesn't please the Lord. Well, why doesn't it please the Lord? Because God does not want us to ever place a stumbling block before others, even though it's not your fault because you don't know, and if some idiot who needs to be slapped upside the head or even locked in jail because of lust or acting upon that lust, it's their fault. We still don't ever want to put a stumbling block, and that's one illustration of a million that when we want to please the Lord, we rise up with courage and say, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Oh, love of God, that's greater still. I love... John and Nellie Christner and their humble example of parenting and their children all over the world in ministry and now their grandchildren and now even great-grandchildren. The great-grandchildren are just uh, really, really young. Joyce Angel walked down this aisle. She was a teenager here and so many stories I'd like to tell, but she came down the aisle and my dad said, Joyce came to the office a week before the wedding and said, Pastor, I have a strange request. Said, I know it's not customary in weddings, but I don't know if anything's customary in weddings as long as it pleases the Lord. Anything can go. But she said, um, she said uh, my dad has always counseled me. After supper, we'd go in and sit in the living room. We'd talk about everything. He said, we'd talk about boys. We'd talk about relationships. We would talk about school. We'd talk about health. We'd talk about life. We'd talk about work. We'd talk about everything. And said, I would like at my wedding because when I get married, he will not be my chief counselor. My husband will, Terry. I would like for him to give me one more counseling session. And I've heard the story many times. My, my dad said there was not a dry eye in the auditorium. People were weeping all over the place as they had these white wrought iron uh, chairs, couches. And, and little old John Christner sat down beside his daughter, Joyce Angel. And he just, from his heart, just counseled her. And all the counseling things he said, and I'm not trying to be unkind to anybody here that's gone through a painful divorce. That's not my intent. But the first thing out of his mouth, he said, well, Joyce, I wish you could hear him talk. Clicking that little hook, he said, well, Joyce, Nellie and I were driving in tonight, and we know that 
You know, we haven't been perfect parents, but as we drove in, I said, you know, Nellie, I'm glad that I don't have to give my daughter away and be with somebody who's not her mother. I just got quiet and she listened. And then he said, and Nellie said, well, Johnny, <laughs> well, Johnny, I'm glad I don't have to give my daughter away and be standing beside somebody who's not her father. Now, I understand some people have, have to walk that because of baggage in the past and thank God for his grace. But all the counsel and the love and the heart connection that was given, why? Because he wanted to be like Jesus. And that is certainly my desire. Oh, to be like Jesus. Let me give you the key ingredients in parenting that we've covered from a high-level view. And uh, we're going to go through these, and I will mention some handouts. If you haven't gotten them, I want you to get them. And uh, we even have some more handouts to come. Uh, but uh, we'll give you the handouts that are in the yellow and green folders tonight. So what are the key ingredients, plural now? I've, I've talked to you the foundation and the basis here, and I pray that you've taken that. Now listen very, very carefully. We talked about, first of all, vision. The woman conceived and bare a son, and she saw that he was a goodly child. Where there is no vision, the people perish. There are no born losers, just born choosers. Parents must have a biblical vision for training their children. It can be done. It must be done. And uh, you have to have a vision. Do you want a good kid? Do you want a church kid? Or do you want a true disciple of Jesus Christ? I challenge you to get on your knees with tears in your eyes, with a prayer in your heart, and take that handout that explains that in detail and read over those statements of what these three different things bring, the joy and the pain uh, that they bring. And then the biblical home, what does it look like? And uh, many, many points, about 15 points of what a biblical home looks like, where, where mom and dad stay together, where there's joy, where mom's a keeper at home, and it goes on and on. I'd love for you to get that. You can spot the biblical family a mile away. You got to have vision. You got to have vision in your heart and mind to say, God, I want more. The children are in order, happy, peaceful, and relate well to their parents. The children display the countenance of a positive spirit instead of seeing uh, and spread of, uh, the display of a negative, sneering scowl of someone who hates where they are, who they are with, and what they are doing. The children connect well with mom and dad and enjoy their siblings. They do not walk around plugged into their electronics to the total ignoring of their family. They do not leave at the earliest possible opportunity. They contribute to the family conversation and act grateful for the time spent together as well as for any money that was expended to make their life more enjoyable. They look mom and dad in the eyes. Are you listening, boys, down here? They look mom and dad in the eyes and say, thank you. They understand their role among their siblings and feel responsible for filling it. In fact, they take pride in their ability to carry their own weight as they get older instead of being weighted on by mom and dad like they were two years old. When dad says, <clears throat> it's time to go, everybody stands up to leave. When mom tells Junior to stop something, Junior looks her in the eyes and says, yes, ma'am, and stops immediately. They are not perfect, and it does not go as planned every time, but they are a wonder to behold in a culture of darkness, in a culture of willfulness, rebellion, disrespect, and narcissism. They are like a shining beacon in a storm of discouragement. You say, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. If you'll get vision according to God's word, not vision according to Dr. Spock or the latest blog or article or book that you read, but according to God's word, you'd say, I can, because God created marriage, God created family, and he's given me a calling. You have plenty of time 
to do everything that God wants you to do when you see and know what God has called you to do. Jesus said, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. Paul said, I have finished my course. But the higher the objective, the greater the price. And many parents don't see the end goal in vision, and therefore, why would they ever pay the price? You have time to raise your kids, but you may not have time to also pursue your career to its highest rung. You have time to be faithful in church, but that may cut out the softball league or force you to change jobs to one that will not work on Sundays. You have time to pray and walk with God and his word every day, but you may have to give up your time on Facebook or social media. You have time to date your wife romantically or respect your husband energetically, but you may have to forgo being the president of PTA or working all those extra overtime hours. You have time for family Bible time and to pray with each child, but you may have to give away your television and movies to make it happen. You have time for a wealth of things that will make a difference in the things that God has called you to do. But they will require that you prioritize them more than the things he didn't call you to do. Frustration is the byproduct of attempting to fulfill responsibilities God did not intend for us to carry. This is why we have despondent, discouraged, broken, sad, miserable reproached homes, moms, dads, and families. God wants you to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He wants you, young women, to be keepers at home, Titus 2.5. It may take some planning to get your house in order, but you do have time to finish the work that God gives you to do. He wants you men to be spiritual leaders in the home and to step up even when you're tired and it's not convenient, to step up and to step in to bring your family up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But you have to have a vision. You have to see it to believe it. You've got to see God's divine order and plan. In this visual here, I like to put it this way. God and our love and commitment and our lifelong relationship with him. God, I want to please you in everything I say and do. If you'll get that right tonight, your life will change. If you don't, one day your life will change and it will be a life of destruction like you will not imagine. And then you bring your family and you prioritize your family. And then once you've got your family, you bring alongside in your other hand. In your right hand is your family. In your strengthened hand is your family. And then in your uh, left hand coming alongside, uh, or if your left hand is reversed, you're bringing ministry through the local church. And then you're committed to whatever your hands find to do to provide for your family. You bring that into life, and then everything else will have to fit in down below. The sports, the hobbies, the overtime, the big jet-setting careers. You say, God, I'm putting you first. I'm putting my family second. I'm putting my local church ministry third, but in tandem. That's why they're across from each other. Because the local church ministry builds your family, and you move together I've always said, and I said to young men this week, if local church ministry is hurting your family, you're doing it wrong. And if family is hurting local church ministry, you're doing it wrong. Can't say one without the other. So we come together and we get a vision. What is the characteristics of godly children? A godly seed is a child with a heart for God and training to effectively serve him for a lifetime. We all have 1,440 minutes in a day. Successful people don't get an extra two hours. Successful people get a vision and step out in a lifelong commitment because they want something different. And I realize I'm preaching to a remnant. And I realize even in a crowd like this, that's the cream of the crop. 
Not every single parent will say, I'm in. But those that do will reap a harvest beyond anything that you can ever imagine. Secondly, we looked at training. And there's not too many of these because we did all the weeks and there was weeks underneath each one. I'm just giving you a high view. If you wanted to know what we've been covering then you can go back and watch under training all the different lessons and so much good stuff. But the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The way he should go is important because all children are trained. Some are trained from ignorance and misconception. Others are trained from a biblical plan. The three-year-old who only obeys after he has been told to, uh, told to do something five times louder and louder until mom's hair catches fire and that big vein pops out on her forehead has been trained every bit as much as the child who obeys the first time. And looks the parent in the eye to say, yes, ma'am, as he moves to do it. Consistent repetition has trained the first child that mom's words mean absolutely nothing until her head explodes. The child understood the training and lived according to it. The child does not respect her and will not obey her. He'll be frustrated the rest of his life. Consistent repetition has trained the second child that mom and dad's words meant something the very first time that they said them in a pleasant tone of voice with a reasonable level of volume. When it's positive, the voice gets happier and louder and more forceful. Ha <laughs> ha, this is exciting, wonderful. When it's negative, your voice must get quieter and more controlled. I have a question. Does the world get that right or backwards? You know, when we ought to be positive and affirming and praising to children and happy about something, Christians come into church... I have been blessed, God's so good to me. But an old carnal Christian that somebody steps on their toe, and thank God we don't hear this here. If we did, I would, I would go in and drop some bombs maybe. But, but man, in churches around the world, some classroom you hear two, two church members in each other's hair. Well, I don't know why you did that. When was the last time that that same carnal Christian sat in a pew with the sweetness of God and said, Oh, thank God, glory to God. It's the opposite. And so training comes into this and you're training yourself first and then your, your children. Too often parents engage in random cherry picking from many sources and end up with a self-styled methodology that will cost them their kids. Stick to the Bible. Choose to limit yourself to Bible teaching, Bible preaching, and Bible instruction. It is the timeless truth that transcends men's wisdom. People want short, simple, and magical answers to complicated questions, but they do not exist. Our homes are places where the coffee pot is trained, the dog is trained, the cell phone is trained, the wash machine's trained, the refrigerator's trained, but the children just can't be trained. And pictures like this abound of dogs and their owners around the world, but yet somehow a child cannot be trained. And this is something that is very hard and something I feel like I've been failing out. My, my wife is so good, but we work on it. I took them all to Aldi's six of them, to Aldi's uh, on Monday, or yeah, Monday, and uh, Charity was going to go grocery shop, and she wanted to clean the house. I said, you clean the house, and because you ladies know, uh, if you clean the house when all the kids are home, you're just running in circles cleaning back up everything, <laughs> but anyways, um, so we went to Aldi's with this long list, the full grocery shopping list, and I was training them to go grocery shopping and find deals. I said, no, mom wants apples and bananas, but she said to me, she thought I was going to do it, and they were just going to ride along, I said, and she said, other fruit. Go find fruit that's on sale and go do it. 
And so Aaron, Hannah, and Abigail were in a group, and then Lydia led my group as I pushed Andrew and Rachel in the cart. And Lydia was picking everything out, and do these look good? Are these ripe? Is this what we want? And Aaron and Hannah by themselves in, now it was Aldi's, so I, you know, they would scream real loud if somebody tried to grab their arm, but they would be several aisles over and coming back. That's training. And I'm not tooting my horn because we need to do so much more of it. Last night, we were sitting there and we're having a blast. Family devotions, having a blast. They're going crazy. My kids are bouncing off the walls and so much fun. But every time I'd be like, okay, now let's come back into the scriptures because I would say something, tell a story, and we'd get all going. And they are still bouncing off the walls. And so I said, hold on, we're going to train on this. Now, I wasn't going to spank because I had not trained specifically in this way. And so I said, now when I say, okay, we're coming back to the Bible or devotions, those two words, if I go back to the Bible immediately, and they laughed and had fun, and it actually took three or four times. There was one or two children that just couldn't seem to get it. And they're going crazy, and we're laughing and talking and telling jokes and different things. And then I say, okay, we're going back to the Bible, and they'd all do it. And I said, okay, let's do it again. Y'all be as crazy as you could be. And they, I'm serious. They're going crazy, bouncing off the wall, and I'm laughing and being crazy with them and different things. And, and I said, okay, we're going back to the Bible, and boom, they sit down every single time. Then, after we did that, if a child just wouldn't do it, that's when, how about you go on up to your room and we'll come up and talk about this, and sometimes there has to be chastening that come into that. And so we're going to train these things, train, 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 just as a parent trains a pet. It's that simple. It's that simple. But understand when you're training that you're not, why you're training them. You're not training them for polished trophies. You're training them for the glory of God. That's why you train character. And I have a reading that I wanted to read tonight, but I'm going to refrain about it is better. How many of you remember it is better? The training, it is better. Maybe I need to read it, two or three. You would remember it if I started reading it. I'll just read a little bit. It is better to make less money working honorably with God's priorities than first than to work in questionable occupations or skipping godly priorities or compromising your testimony to make a fatter paycheck. It is better to lose a game playing fairly than to win it by cheating. It is better to eat beans working hard than to eat filet mignon on money you won gambling. It is better to make D's in school from your memory than to make the honor roll from a cheat sheet. It is better to be disciplined and talented on time than more rested or better dressed and beautiful inside than more stylish outside. It's better to be pure than popular and to patiently seek God's will than to bounce from plaything to plaything. It is better to be right than cool. It is better to walk alone than have the wrong friends. It's better to stick it out where God put you than to quit and get relief. It is better to stay with a bad marriage trying to make it worse than divorce in hopes of a better situation for yourself while damaging your kids and disobeying God. It is better for a woman to be virtuous than beautiful. It is better to be a godly father than a wealthy businessman. It is better for children to be righteous and know God's word well than immoral and highly educated in television, movies, music, and sports of our culture. It is better to have a high school diploma with godliness than a PhD with atheism or scornfulness. While we strive to do an excellent job in all areas, our heart should be training character. And then next, we see chastening. And we're coming down near the end, chastening. God takes offending little ones very serious. However, the Bible says, chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. The rod talked about in the Bible is the shepherd's rod. And David said, thy rod and thy staff, they... They comfort me. We never chasten or spank with a rod on the posterior. We never chasten to a child. We chasten for a child. There's a big difference there. It is always to reconcile and never to punish. 
Spanking should never be punishment. Well, let me give you your punishment. No, that, God never gives us a punishment. The only reason why God invented chastening was to reconcile him to us. And so we talked about the soothing hand. We talked about the controlled spirit. We talked about the courageous spanking parent who does it uh, uh, according to the mandates of God's word to never harm a child or damage a child. If you're doing that, number one, you're not right with God. And number two, you're, you are harming that child. A child becomes a delinquent one rebellion at a time, one lie to mom, one deception, one dirty picture in the backyard tent, one I'll be there when I wasn't there, one wrong friend, one godless uh, music CD, one pack of cigarettes, one joint hidden in the woods, one sneak around girlfriend, one hidden Facebook page, one shoplift, one sexual note, one cell phone dad never checks, one secret meeting in the food court in the mall, one sleepover with a friend that was really about seeing his friend's sibling. Rebellion is never a blowout. It's always a slow leak. Most people think of it starting in junior high and teenage years, but the seeds were planted and ignored long before that. And so God says, look, use a little pain to gain a lot of healing. You take some medicine that sometimes hurts to bring you great healing. You spray the child with that special medicine and, oh, it stings, so that their knee doesn't have to, their leg doesn't have to be cut off later. That's what spanking is all about. And for 175 years in our country, spanking worked until this new age, God-hating uh, crowd came on the scene. And now, that because the devil hates children, he set up a method where the children are being abused when they used to not be because parents are not chastening. We talked about the seven laws of biblical chastening, and now we come down to the last connection. As you can tell, I've only been going about 35 minutes. We're getting it all out pretty quick, but you're seeing the overview, and uh, I, I really would implore, implore you to get these handouts and also uh, to go back and listen to as many messages as you can. Connection, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. When your authority fails, when accountability fails, when training fails, when character fails, connection will get them through the trial. Even the best kids go through testing times and moments of testing in their weak spot, and it can be touch and go for a while. For some, it's pornography. For others, it will be loud discussions that are really arguments trying to become a fight and displaying as rebellion. The most frightening to parents are the loyalties formed with the wrong kind of friends, and that includes romantic friendships. Connection gives you the emotional collateral to pull your child back across the line when a squirrely moment hangs in the balance. Satan can do a lot of damage in those moments, life-altering damage. Even when they recover and stay in the way, they can regret that moment for a lifetime. I thank God for a mom and dad who invested in relationships, but it spilled out into brothers and sisters. And when I went to college, which is a great training and testing time, a character testing time, their love sustained me. I read the letter last week. I wish you could hear it. I will not take time to read it tonight about my dad writing me that letter. And I've got many letters, stacks from my mom and from my dad. And he said, time has moved on, but your old dad is still here living out the precious memories of days gone by, trying to keep the old home place just like it was until you get home. Please don't forget about your, mo your mom and me because we love you and are more thankful for you than you could ever know. When I stood at the crossroads of life, I looked into the eyes of an old battle axe, a warrior, a soldier, a man that had done right and stood strong for many, many years. 
And I could have seen the crusty stalwartness of a battle warrior. And it could have pushed me away and said, well, you're just too strict and you're too strong and you're just a strong preacher, that's all you are. But behind the battle armor, I looked into the eyes of somebody who was desiring to please God, committed to a lifelong relationship of pleasing God, and who loved me more than anybody on the face of this earth. And that's why I said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I have a Bible. This is the very Bible, and I taped it in the back that I had in college. I had my wife bring it from home. Here's a note in the back. We're missing this in siblings and homes. It's a note from Joanna. If you've ever been in Bible college, if you've ever been a young adult in that transitional stage before marriage, you know that life gets tough. Here's what she wrote. I'm reading. I know that at times college and even life in general can be very hard. This is from my oldest sister to the middle brother. I can remember times when I was so discouraged that when I prayed, I would do nothing but cry. Sometimes the temptations and discouragements are so very great. At times it seems as though it would be much easier just to give up and do whatever we pleased or even whatever everyone else is doing. But please keep on keeping on. When things are so hard and dark that you cannot see your hand in front of your face, just keep, and by the way, I've never seen this parallel here. This was written years and years and years before mom wrote that thing that I read in her funeral. And don't you see the parallel? I wonder where Joanna got it. When things are so hard and dark that you cannot see your hand in front of your face, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. When you are tempted and discouraged beyond what you can humanly resist, remember our family and how much we love you. And remember our Lord, I'm quoting verbatim, and what he has done for you. I promise you it will be worth it all. Even if not in this life, then certainly the next. When it seems that everything else is going wrong, just remember that I am cheering and praying for you. I got some tape in that old Colston uh, dorm room, and I taped it in the back of my Bible. I'd sat there when the bill of college was so high, when I'd broken up with my fiancé, when I'm in a place and in a city and in a place that's just not Marion Avenue, it's not home, and I'd crack that open, and I'd say, somebody's cheering for me. Somebody loves me. That's what connection is all about. I close. You cannot change your destination overnight, but you can change your direction overnight. And that's what we need to do because it's worth it. I rushed through this last week, and this will be my closing. It'll take a moment to read. But moms and dads, grandparents, I know you may not have the little child in the home, but listen, this covers all age groups. I want you to listen and open up your heart, even if you have to close an eye to do it. Close an eye. <laughs> close your eyes to do it. And meditate upon this right here. Is it worth it? Children can be quite a hassle, can't they? In a house with no children, there are no fingerprints on the glass door. No toys to trip over. No skates on the stairs. Or Legos, could I add? Those are of the devil. In a house without children, you never back over a bicycle or find your tools lying under the tree in the rain. There's no irritating race car noise, no sand in your sheets, no midnight visuals with fever, no bedwetting, no scary dreams, no request for a drink or water for the five millionth time. Why, without children, think of how much extra money you would have to spend on yourself. In a house with no children, you never listen to patch the pirate over and over and over again. In a house with no children, showers would run hot eternally. The car would never be gone. The ice cream would wait for you to eat it. 
You could avoid buying pairs of shoes seven at a time. Brother Steve Dunbar say amen to that. But in a house with no children, I would miss the giggles and the laughter of my girls. Running like water through the mill will of my soul, I would fish by myself and never see the undisguised joy of my child landing a whopper. I would never have known the tacky-fingered three-year-old girl smelling of shampoo and clean fresh who would grab my ears and pull me down to kiss her goodnight. My wife and I would have prayed alone, gone to church alone, done ministry alone, worked alone, and laughed by ourselves with no one to share our mirth and our memories. I would not know the sound of children's voices singing great hymns by the campfire or the unquenchable squeals of delight as we jumped into the freezing waters of a swimming pool. We could have been alone. Would family nights have all looked the same if we had experienced them alone? To whom would I show my old stomping grounds or who would care about the ramblings of my upbringing? Who wants to work all night at the church alone? Who would pester me with questions and questions and questions? Who would need correction at the table? And who would never track mud into the house? But then again, I would not know the joy of kneeling so many times to pray and then feeling the comforting companionship of a child, their arm through mine as we call out to God together for their future. I have wept hot tears for the hurts of others and seen my children cling to me, unable to assuage their father's grief, but somehow willing to divide it amongst themselves so as to make my burden lighter. If there were no children, life would be so much simpler, wouldn't it? I would never hear the nerve-jangling screech of a beginner violin, like someone flaying a cat alive, or the donkey bray of a youngster on a trumpet, or a guitar twanged like a drunken oriental, or a piano played, I didn't write it, I just read it, or a piano played like a three-fingered mortician. Of course, I would also never hear the beautiful music that daily filled our home a few years later or see my child pour out their heart to God as they played their soul to him alone in the room. I would never suffer the heartbreak of chastening my child or fight with anger when they do irresponsible things. I would have no one to wait up for when they were overdue. Our fenders would have fewer dents. Our insurance rates would be lower. But I wouldn't ever receive a love note or a butterfinger fused into shapes of modern art by the heat of a generous child's hand. I would never hear, Dada, feel that slobbery, opened-mouthed kiss of an infant, or go into their room at night just to make sure that they are still breathing. I would never have to play peekaboo, reread the same infernal stories a thousand times, or fight to get a decent family portrait. Where no children are, the house is clean, the floor is clean, the second bathroom has no overspray. A resplendent garage sparkles uncluttered by the things that nobody uses but can't bear to throw away. And I would never be troubled with pet rats, pet cats, or imaginary friends, or animals in general. I would never have to kiss a dolly goodnight, nor make up a scary story in the dark, nor lay on trampoline and look at the stars. Think of the extra time that you would have if you weren't always running to kill a spider taking pets to the vet or transporting kids all over the place. My Uno would become solitaire. No one would accompany me to the post office, the ice cream shop, or the hospital. With no children, I'd never have to deal with puberty, buying a thousand pairs of pantyhose or comforting a teenage girl who's crying but doesn't know why. I could sleep as late as I like on Christmas morning and avoid trying to find a place to store all of those homemade child gifts for which I have no real use. Family life can be both challenging and trying at times, but it's worth it. Raising children can have unexpected detours, but it's still worth it. The conflicts, 
the spankings, the messes, the hurts, the tempers, the risks, the kids, the children, they're worth it all. The trips to the emergency room, the sports injuries, the romantic struggles, giving them away in marriage, the pressure of paying the bills, worth everyone. It's time to recommit. It's time to figure it out. It's time to change and make it better. It's time to be more than you were, to grow, to surrender to God, break out of the rut you've fallen into, and change by yielding each day to the Holy Spirit of God's work in your Christian life. Claim God's strength to be the parent your child needs. You can't do it all at once. You can't do it alone, but you can do it. The wrong way doesn't become the right way because you do it more often or with greater intensity. Adopt a new strategy, a biblical one. If we don't change, our children won't get better. There are some things you can't afford to forget. The fact that you are a loving parent or didn't mean to do it or, didn't, or did some things uh, right won't stop your little one from skittering down the highway of life into oncoming traffic. Yes, you can pray for a miracle, but you don't have to approach child rearing like a spin of the wheel. God gave you a plan. Seek a godly seed. And so we close where we started. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Though I, have, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not charity. That's God's love. That's a committed love. It's not an empty light. It's a giving of yourself, a lifelong commitment and desire to please the Lord. Though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity in parenting, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, in parenting, it'll still profit me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind, and charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. It beareth all things in parenting. It believeth all things in parenting. There's your vision. It hopeth all things. It endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall fail. They shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but that which is perfect, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as, I am all, as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is a desire and commitment to bring your family onto the road and onto the path of a godly seed. of Pleasing the Lord and we can do it together. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to have... Brother Steve, play that song, I Just Want to Please You, Lord. And then look for Pray For Me if the invitation needs to go that long. We're done. That was it. And I feel completely at peace that as a pastor for this season, for this season, we may come back to it next year or the next year or the next, but for this season, we have laid out the principles and precepts of God's word. What will we do with them? Come and do business with God. Come as a family. If, if my, some of my family's in here, I'd like to meet you. I can't get you because I don't... You're spread out a little bit, but let's kneel together. Maybe Brother Stephen, Miss Benita, if you'll come and let's just pray together as a family that we would desire.
to have a lifelong commitment of pleasing the Lord. Father, thank you for your love. Help us, Lord, when the days are tough and when we lose sight. Bring us back to that revival that we can have. Thank you for this church family, the grandparents, the moms and dads, the future parents, the children that are on the other side of this. Lord, we thank you. Father, please help us as we desire to please you more than anything else. In Jesus' name, amen. Horn of Plenty meeting, section five, correct? Section five, cookies for the bus ministry. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for your patience. You are dismissed.